In the Bible, there's a story that most of us are familiar with. It's about a father and a son. And it very easily could be irrelevant to our time, our age, where there was a disagreement. In this particular case, the son knew that there was an inheritance he was going to receive someday when his father passed away. But he was impatient, and he dishonored his father. He sinned against his father. He went to his father and asked for his inheritance up front. He really rejected his father. In one sense, it's almost like, I wish you'd die already so I could get what's coming to me. And he left, and the father let him go. But the father knew his son. He knew, no matter what he's done, his choices are going to eventually bring him back to him. He knew his son. And the forgiveness that he had was based on the love that he had for his son. It didn't matter. He didn't know all the details that the son was going to go through. He didn't understand all of the sinful things that he might be doing. But because he loved his son and knew his son, he was faithful and trusted that his son would come back. And when his son came back, the father, who had been expecting and waiting, received him with open arms and forgave him. And that's such an amazing picture for us of our Heavenly Father. So many things that were shared this morning and even in the songs and the exhortations that Brian received and Luke received really drive home the message of Zechariah that I want to be sharing today. The reality is when you and I mess up, and you do, and I have, and we will. Our Heavenly Father is always waiting and desiring to forgive us and restore us to that right relationship with Him. He wants to know which direction we're running. Are we running away from Him, or are we running to Him? The title of my message this morning is God's Heart Cry, and we see this in Zechariah so clearly, is Return to Me. Return to me with the promise that I'll return to you and I'll be in the midst of you. I want to be with you. No matter what, I want to be with you. So however far we've ran, you're still his. You still belong to him. You're still his child. And he's ready to welcome you back. It's his heart cry. He's faithful to us even where we've been unfaithful to him. And really, that's what sin is. It's an act of unfaithfulness. And sometimes, at the very moment that we should be running back to the Father, we keep running away. And when we look at the history of Israel and all that we've been going through this summer in the Minor Prophets, we see for the first nine that we talked about God was working to draw his people back to himself. He would send his prophetic people to come and speak his words to the people, warning them, exhorting them, pleading with them, promising them and reminding them of his promises to come back to me. And eventually he had to discipline them to the extent that he used foreign armies to take them into exile. In Israel was a wandering 
nation. They kept wandering away from God. They ran away from God. They ran to other gods. Oftentimes, they didn't remove him completely. They just added two. Let's cover all our bases. And they had their idols, the things that they chose to worship instead of the one true God. But God forgave his chosen people over and over. And he sent these prophetic voices over and over to remind them that he wants them back, that that's his goal, to bring them back to himself. Last week, we talked about Haggai. And it was kind of refreshing that Haggai was encouraging the people after they'd been able to come back, return from exile. And, and this week, with Zechariah, a little bit longer book if you read it. I don't know where the cutoff was for the minor prophets and the major ones, but he has 14 chapters. And he says a lot, but mostly what he is really doing is reminding the people God wants you back. Your Father wants you back. Over and over, he's crying out, come back to me, return to me. Let me demonstrate my love for you. The people, when they returned to Jerusalem from the exile, all they saw was the difficulty and the discouragement. And that can be so true of us when we know we've been walking down a path we're not supposed to be on. Sometimes we have to almost step back and say, how did I even get here? How did this happen? I know better. And there we are. And usually when we're in that situation, we forget a couple things. One, it is God's character to be faithful. Faithful to forgive. He wants to forgive. We need to remind ourselves that he wants to forgive so bad that he sent Jesus' son to die on a cross to be crucified so that he could forgive our sin. He wants to forgive our sin. And so often we forget that when they're in the midst of running away from God. And the other thing that I think we forget is in the midst of his faithfulness to what his son did for us is we forget how he sees us how he sees us, how he describes us. We look in a mirror and we see something that's probably not what God sees. When he looks at us, he sees us differently than those around us see us. And we forget how he sees us. And we need to be reminded of these things and get back in right relationship with the Lord. Zechariah is coming on the scene. He's a contemporary of Haggai. So he's coming back, and it's like last week when Haggai saw what was going on and the discouragement and the disaster that they had to do and all the hard work that was going to be involved in rebuilding Jerusalem. Zechariah is in that same time frame. And he comes to encourage the people and to remind them of who God is. I want you to look at Zechariah 1, verses 1 through 3, the way Zechariah starts out. And he says, in the eighth month of the second year of Darius, or Darius. Giving us a time frame that we know he's at about the same time as Haggai. Just a few months different in this word being released. And he says, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the prophet, the son of Berechiah and the son of Edo, saying, 
the Lord was very angry with your fathers. I therefore want you to say to them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you, says the Lord of hosts. It's interesting, and I've talked about this with most of these minor prophets, and it's true of all the prophets, really. His name has significance. In the the Hebrew people, the names usually had a very clear message. And it seems like over and over and over, God chose the men that he chose to prophesy and speak for him with names that had something to do with their message. Zechariah means Yahweh God. Yahweh remembers. Yahweh remembers. So when he'd hear his name, Zechariah, it's like hearing in the Hebrew mind, Yahweh remembers. What does he remember? He remembers his people. He remembers his promises. He remembers how much he loves you. He remembers. He doesn't need to be reminded. He remembers when we forgot how much he loves each one of us. His message, Zechariah's message, was primarily that. God remembers. Don't forget. You're his chosen people. You and I are his chosen people. Without the Holy Spirit coming and wooing us and the grace of God being released to us, we would never have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The Word of God says, I chose you, you didn't choose me. We sometimes have a real issue with our pride and think, yeah, I chose God. When did you decide to receive God? Well, what that really means is when did you decide to receive the grace of God to enable you to say yes to Jesus? It's his faithfulness. We're his chosen people. And he's going to keep his promises. When he makes a promise, it's going to be kept. The time frame always messes with us. We can stand on his promises, but boy, when we're going through those dark places, those trials, those tests, it gets hard to remember his promises. But Yahweh remembers. And this is Zechariah's message. He used the word or the phrase, is that verse still up there? If it's not, go ahead and go back to it. Notice he refers to himself three times the same way. And it's kind of an interesting way to refer to him. He says, the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts. That I return to you, says the Lord of hosts. I don't think he was doing that just so that you wouldn't forget. I think there's significance to that name. The Lord of hosts, when it's used in Scripture, usually referred to armies. Whether it was angelic armies or armies of men, it sometimes was actually referred to as the, the stars. It had significance. And it's if he's saying to a people, Israel, who is coming back to Jerusalem, they have no army. The walls of the city are destroyed. They have no protection. And they're saying, he's saying to them, I'm the Lord of hosts. I got this. You're my chosen people. You don't need to worry. You don't need to be fearful. You don't need to be discouraged. I am the Lord of hosts. I command the armies of heaven. I will protect you. I will take care of you. I will encourage you. I am the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Three times. When you see something repeated three times, especially in a couple of verses, there's an importance to it that God wants to drive home. 
And I believe the main point of that being trying to be driven home is I am the sovereign God and I got this. Just trust me. Remember me. Remember my promises. Remember how much I love you. Remember all of these things that I am faithful and true. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Repeated it three different times. God was protecting them. Who do you and I turn to? Who do you and I trust? When we run into bad times, difficult times, challenging times, who do we trust? Is he faithful? Are we his children? Are his promises true? For a lot of us, at least hopefully, we eventually get there, but so often we go through so much more than we have to because we're slow, so slow to go there. It's almost as if he is our last resort instead of our first resort. Turn to him. He's telling his people, I'm God, for goodness sakes. I got this. I spoke and all that you know that exists came into being. I created you. And as we were reminded this morning, I have a plan for you from before you were even imagination that you were in your mother's womb. I I had this plan. I got this. Quit running away from me. Turn back to me. Return to me. And I will return to you. Sometimes when we do this, a couple of testimonies came to my mind, but I didn't have an opportunity to talk to the people involved. But the point would be this. Sometimes when we're going through our most difficult time, our greatest challenges, when we keep our eye on the Lord, our testimony is never more powerful. People are watching. People see what we do and how we respond when we are going through the difficulties. I know a family who became leadership in this church The primary reason they decided to check this church out was because they were watching somebody going through a horrible time. Watching their witness. Watching their testimony. And they saw this and they thought, something's there that we don't have. Whatever it is that's enabling them to go through this difficult time We need it. So when we are going through those most difficult of times, sometimes the way we look to the Father and respond is going to be the thing that changes other people's lives. It will be a testimony and a witness. And more often than not, we're not even aware. But they are, and the Lord is. He is faithful to us. And in that verse, he says, Return to me that I may return to you. I don't know about you, but I hope you learn quicker than me. Sometimes, when I should immediately turn around and return to him, I still am wandering this way. I may not always be running, but I am not getting closer to him. I keep going the opposite direction. That All of the benefits are back here, But for some reason, I keep going the other way. I keep going in the wrong direction. Sometimes, 
when we talk like this, people say, what do you mean you're going the wrong? How do I get back? How do I get back to him? What do I have to do to get back to the Lord? Now remember, the word of God tells us he'll never leave us nor forsake us. The problem's not him moving away from us. We're moving away from him. And by that I mean there's this barrier being created that's preventing the kind of intimacy that he desires. And really all it takes is repentance. Because he's already provided the forgiveness at the cross. We sang about the cross having the final word. Sins are forgiven and can be forgiven because of the cross. But we, in our flesh, and we need to remember we have an enemy that wants to keep us from that intimate relationship with the Father. Repentance. We need to remember his faithfulness to forgive. I mean, can you imagine doubting that he can forgive or willing to be willing to forgive, knowing that he gave up his son to die for us? It's like, what more can I do to demonstrate how much I love you? What more can I do to demonstrate how badly I want to forgive you and, and restore you? In Zechariah 2, verse 8. I, I, I love this verse, and I love the one in Deuteronomy I'm going to share with you too. Because this comes back to who we are in Christ. How does he see us? Now, depending on your translations, it may, see, may say the pupil of his eye. Most translations translate it the way you see it here. For thus saith the Lord of hosts. Here we go again. Lord of hosts. After glory he has sent me against the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Who are we? We are the apple of his eye. We're the crown jewel of all of his creation. We're the apple of his eye. Deuteronomy, it says it just a little differently. In 32.10, this is Moses and the song that he's singing before he's about to pass away and pass the baton to Joshua. And he says, In a desert land he found him, in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. And in Psalm 17, David, praying to the Lord, it says, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who assail me, from my mortal enemies who surround me. God is just saying over and over and over again, you're the apple of my eye and I'm going to kick the enemy's butt if you let me. That translation may not be the one you have, but it's what he's saying. You're the apple of my eye. Believe it. What am I going to do for you because you're the apple of my eye? I'm going to demonstrate my love to you. I'm going to demonstrate my character to you. And part of my character is the desire to forgive. And I'm faithful to that. Quit running from me. Come on back. You're the apple of my eye. You're the one that I love. And sometimes we forget. What would you do? What would you do? What would I do? My children are the apple of my eye. You might be able to pick on them say nasty things about them, but don't do it in front of me because they are the apple of my eye. And if one of them has gone astray, I'm going to go after them. Right? We're going to go after them because they're precious to us. God has been going after His people since the Garden of Eden. 
demonstrating that he is pursuing his people. In the Garden of Eden, he said in Genesis, after the sixth day of creation, he looked around, he'd created Adam and Eve, and he said, this is awesome. This is great. And then in Genesis chapter 3, we see he's walking in the coolness of the evening in the garden, looking for Adam and Eve. I don't think that was the first time he went walking with Adam and Eve. I think that's what he was doing. He created them for fellowship, for intimacy. But something had happened between the day of creation and that evening. Sin had entered. And we know the story. But from that day on, he has been pursuing his people. He kept pursuing his chosen people, Israel. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit's tasked with is to continue to pursue us. Pursue the unsaved. Pursue you and me to keep me on the right track. And the ultimate evidence of his pursuit, where it came to a climax, was on Calvary, on a cross. The climax of his pursuit was Calvary. In Zechariah 2, verse 10, it says, Shout and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for I am coming, and I will live among you. In Zechariah 2.10, in the NA New American Standard, it says, Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst. That's his heart's desire, to dwell in us. It's one of the reasons he sent the Holy Spirit. He literally does dwell in us made possible once again because of the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So why is it so hard for us to return to him? Look at Israel. I mean, man alive, how many chances do you get? As many as it takes. Here's a nation who were set free from slavery. God parted a Red Sea. He led them in the wilderness. He gave, raised up leaders. He gave them the promised land, and they turned away and they turned away, and they turned away. They sinned and sinned and sinned. They worshipped other idols, other gods, over and over. He sent prophet after prophet after prophet trying to draw them back and woo them back. He disciplined them, which seems very harsh, but he disciplined to restore, to bring them back. He brought them back from exile. We need to remember, our flesh is a problem, But we also need to remember Satan does exist. We need to remember those two things for sure. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves and do a double check to make sure we know which one's the battle with. Our flesh or the demonic, satanic. We have an enemy that wants to destroy us. And once we're saved, he can't unsave us, but he can sure make us miserable Christians. He can certainly destroy and keep us from having intimacy with the Father if we let him. Satan, the word itself, the name itself means the accuser. He's accusing his people. He tries to accuse them before God. That doesn't work very good. You know why? We have an advocate named Jesus who's advocating for us in the courtroom of heaven. But he doesn't just accuse there. He accuses right here. In our mind, he accuses us. 
First Peter 5 says this, The enemy the devil prowls around like a luring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him and stand firm. He's looking. Looking for an opening in our life. Looking for a place that he can have legal access to torment us. Sin does that. It opens a door. As soon as we turn away from that sin, the door is shut. And authority is ours to deal with the enemy. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, it says, In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25, 26, somewhere in there, it talks about that God may grant us repentance that we might come to the knowledge of a truth and escape from the snares of the enemy that has held us captive for so long. We have an enemy who wants to keep us running in the wrong direction. How does he do it? Shame, guilt. Look how long you've been wandering. Look what you did. Look what you said. Look at how evil and vile your life has been. Look how horrible your sin is. And the whole time, all we got to do is look. Here we have a father whose arms extended, reaching for us, wooing us by his Holy Spirit. Because we need to be reminded that there is no sin so vile. There is no way of living that we live for so long that the blood of Christ is not more powerful to forgive our sins. You know, some of the words and encouragements this morning that have already been spoken were, you know, no matter what, return to Him. Return to Him. The lies, the accuser, he's good at what he does, but it's a very simple formula. I'm going to lie to you and accuse you and make you believe untruths. You're going to be so embarrassed, so much shame, so much guilt. You can't go back to them. What the, you can't go back to the Lord. Look what he did for you, and now look how you're acting. It's all a lie. We need to truly repent. Turn away from that. Turn back to him. He says, return to me. I return to you. I'm going to live in the midst of you. I want to be with you. I want to fellowship with you. I want to hold you close. 1 John 1.9 says, and many of you are so familiar with this verse, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He cleanses us totally. He doesn't just take 99.9% of that sin and forgive it and leave that one-tenth of a percent to torment you. He takes it all. He cleanses us completely. As soon as we are forgiven, as soon as we look to the cross, as soon as we remember the blood. In my mind, I've used this so many times over the years, but I just, the idea that when God the Father looks at Mike and all of his blemishes and sinful things that he's done, he doesn't see him. He sees me through the veil of the cross, the blood of Jesus. And he sees me righteous and holy in his sight. That's mind-blowing. But it's true. But it's true. The enemy doesn't want us to grab a hold of that. He wants us to live miserably as Christians. In Psalms 103, verse 10, and you should really read the whole chapter of Psalms 103, He has not dealt with us according to our sin, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. In other words, He's not given us what we deserve For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, 
So far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on his people. Brian gave the offering this morning that if there's anybody still living in the bondage of sin because of what the enemy's trying to tell you, it's time to run from that lie, proclaim the truth, and return to him. Return to Jesus. There's nothing, nothing, nothing. You know, I remember hearing some testimonies by well-respected men of God who do prison ministry about some of the most evil human beings from our perspective that ever walked the earth accepted Christ in prison serving life sentences or on death row. And, of course, the first thing lots and lots of people say is, yeah, right. Well, after what they did, what they've done, the reality is, I don't know their hearts, but if their hearts were true, it's all gone in God's eyes. Nothing is so vile, so evil, that the blood of Christ cannot forgive us. We need to choose who we're going to believe. The lies of the enemy, which bring nothing but pain and suffering, or the truth of the gospel, which brings blessing. Doesn't mean we don't walk through difficult times. Doesn't mean that some of those valleys look so dark, we don't know that we'll ever get out of it. But we need to really believe the truth, that God is sovereign and he is protecting us. We could spend a lot of time on the rest of Zechariah, but I'm not going to. But I just want to mention in chapters 9 through 14, it gets very messianic. That's kind of the focal point. It gets end times. In chapter 9, he gives a, a vision or a picture of two processions taking place in the future. He uses the phrase, at that time, in that time, meaning distant future. And the first procession he talks about is, in chapter 9, what we call the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the Messiah coming that first time to set us free from sin. And you read right after that, there's a picture of another procession. And this is a procession of Jesus returning the second time with all the saints to judge and to bless, to judge the world that has rejected him, tormented his people, and to bless those that have followed him. Zechariah finishes with those kinds of things, saying, you know what, no matter what, no matter how much pain you have to suffer, no how much agony you have to go through, no matter what's taking place, he wins. We win. And that's the message of hope that Zechariah, he spoke to the immediate, return to him, but he also spoke of the eternal. One day, no matter what, we are going to be in the presence of God. No more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more death, no more sin. And praise God, no more temptation to sin. It's all dealt with. And that's the future we have as his children. Let's pray. Lord, I just reiterate what Brian spoke earlier, 
God, if there's any of us here that have never truly accepted Christ and what You did for us in the offering up of Your Son, that You would move on their heart by Your Holy Spirit to acknowledge as sinners we needed a Savior. And Jesus came as the sinless, spotless Lamb of God to pay that price for my sin. And receive that promise and that hope and surrender our lives to You as Lord of our life. God, and if there are others of us here that have been on that path kind of wandering away, slipping away in some cases, running away in others, that we would not believe the lies of the enemy, that we would return to a Heavenly Father who wants to forgive us, embrace us, and have that intimate relationship of fellowship with us. That if there's anyone here, they would be quick to just say, Lord, I confess. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your love, your goodness, and kindness. Lord, and I pray that we can go forth sharing that message with the world around us. That we would not allow the culture, the world, the controversy to separate us from our primary message that we are children of the King of Kings and your kingdom is advancing and we want to be part of that army advancing your kingdom. Pray as we go today, you go before us, lead us, keep us safe, give us those divine opportunities to minister and share the love of Jesus in your name and for your glory. Amen.